to Songbones Podcast, where we get to the real and go to the deep with grassroots singer-songwriters. I'm Michelle McAfee. In this episode, you'll meet Anna Tibble, a Portland, Oregon songwriter with a Spanish degree and a real knack for telling stories. knocking on the door of Anna's home in Portland. This was my first attempt at recording a podcast, and I wasn't exactly sure how to pull it off. But the door opened to Anna smiling and calling off her pups, Jones and Oliver. She poured me a cup of throat coat tea while I set up the recording gear. Then we plopped down on opposite sides of the couch with Oliver curled up in her lap. Two false starts later, and an unresolved technical issue that spans the entire conversation, we dove into the deeper side of life as a singer-songwriter. You know, I don't want to go into, like, the typical, where are you from? How long have you been here? But um, how long have you been here in Portland? Um, I've been in Portland about 12 years. I think, and I came here, I was going to be a nurse, I went to nursing school uh, for one semester, and then I switched majors and graduated in three years with a Spanish degree, and I just did not know what I was doing. Yeah, ass from my elbow, I think I just waited <laughs> tables for a long time, and I, I just wanted to do music. I didn't write songs yet until I was like in my mid-twenties, um, playing fiddle with some bands. And I'm so glad that I feel like it was total luck and chance to end up in Portland because it's such a friendly songwriter scene. It's really, like to start out as a songwriter here is so free. It's no New York or Nashville where there's, a, there's like a, a lot of set rules or like this level of success that kind of lords over everything Portland to me feels like yeah what you whatever you write it can be this style or that style or a totally new thing that no one's heard and yeah I've never felt here like I don't know like I couldn't try something new or work out a song in front of people or or that I had to be in it for any reason besides that I just like it and it's mysterious, you know? It doesn't have to be, I want to play on big stages, or it just doesn't have to have a reason. And I like that about it. It keeps it on the earth a little more in, in my heart, I think. The first time I met Anna was in the studio when she played fiddle and sang harmony on my third album. Her playing was great, and it made me wonder, how she found her way to songwriting. What was it that led her to be a musical storyteller instead of playing a bluegrass band or a symphony? I played fiddle since I was a kid, and I, I think without that I wouldn't have found a way into to this other form that's songwriting that speaks to me in a way that fiddle never has and I love I love that and I love playing backup especially I've never really wanted to be like a flaming bluegrass fiddler or any Eric you know classical symphony player I, I've never had the jive to be 
like virtuosic. I just really like the the vocal sound of that instrument, and, and to just be softly behind other things is is kind of what I've always found that I like best in that. But I think that kind of led me, and that style kind of led me into songwriter realm and borrowing some friends' guitars and messing around with writing. And then, you know, once I wrote like three god awful songs. I was like, oh, this, you know, I'll never stop doing this. This is, this is like some kind of crazy drug. There is some kind of bewilderment among singer-songwriters. When you find another who is also living this life, it's nearly impossible not to ask, how did you end up here writing songs? Anna asked me that question, and I told her about growing up homesteading in Montana, learning to play on my mom's 12-string guitar, and how boredom led me to songwriting. But we didn't have very many songbooks out in yeah. the boonies where I lived. Like, I'll just... Yeah, so it's like, I need to make my own songs up to get through the winter. Yeah, kind of thing. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I was like writing songs, you know, yeah. like pretty early, and they were terrible. My too. mom, bless her heart, she's mm -hmm. still like, honey, don't say that. I love those songs. <laughs> oh, wow. Moms. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> I know, it's good. It's like they can see this thing that you can't see through the like embarrassing shame of, of your teenage mind. They can yeah. see this, this like spark or this like needed thing that you're going through. Well, I think that there's a part of that that never goes away, at least for me, because yeah. songwriting is vulnerable. I mean, do you find that? Yeah. How do you deal with that? Um, I used to drink a lot of alcohol. And, then, <laughs> and that was great. I was just like, this is great. I'm just, I can do whatever I want in front of these strangers. And I can talk to them all, no problem. And then that started to feel really not good. And I, and I really wasn't able to... It was, it was doing something crazy to my throat. And I was just feeling really closed up and... And I think just leaning way too much on that, the more you're playing out, the harder it is for that to be such a big part of the equation, where if you're playing every night on a month-long tour, and you drink, you know, three to five things a night, and you just unravel. But yeah, so I went through a long time of figuring out how to play without that, and it didn't feel very good at first. And, and now I think it's the best thing and I'm so glad that that happened. I feel like a very introverted person and it's uncomfortable to be so vulnerable in front of people and I learn so much every time and also I just learn that people return that. Like the more you're willing to do that the more people are willing to like feel feelings with you and they tell you their own stories and I think the most magical thing to me. Songwriting led me in a different direction. I went to Nashville, where I wrote for publishing companies. We worked in tiny writing rooms with desks and clocks, and I learned the craft from other writers who came before and from making a lot of mistakes. But it was a day job. For 10 years, I wrote songs for other people, which was pretty cool most of the time. 
downside was filtering the vulnerability, you know, in order to make things more catchy or make them more comfortable for people to listen to. When you're in your writing process and those lines or those things come up, do you ever have a tendency to want to bury them? Mm-hmm. Do you have to talk yourself through that sometimes, or is it more of just a quick, nope, just let it be? What's that process like inside writing the song when those really vulnerable lines are? That's such a good question. I, I think about that all the time, more and more even, because I, I can even hear in past batches of songs kind of like a slow unraveling of being able to tell more flawed truths versus like crafting a story that you you want to tell but you always know when you're writing and you write a true thing it and it feels scary and it hurts and it makes you want to cry and then you think oh nobody's gonna want to hear this it's too i don't know it's too deep in there i i guess i think about that a lot and i've been trying really hard to work on even if I'm writing from the voice of a character to to let the to let the story come out confusing or raw or flawed if it wants to or if that's the way it felt and, and not try to put like a cinema spin on it kind of you know mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel like you're really good at that of like letting the dark thing be dark if it needs to and it doesn't need to have like, two choruses and a bridge for it to be a good song. Yeah, it's a total journey, I think. Like the lesson that you keep learning in a million different ways. And it, it's constantly informing your writing and the chances that you're willing to take and, and the amount of your own heart you're willing to give to people. And it, yeah, to me that feels like one of the main beauties of making a life in this is that you just, you don't just go to work and go home and that's that. It's like work is constantly tilling up this stuff in you and seeing it in other people and trying to figure out what to do with it and how to reflect it better in songs. Yeah, it's just like a good it's the good work of it. And there's a lot of noise around it that you have to figure out how to not listen to. Mm-hmm. You haven't released your record yet, right? So kind of soon. This, this, yeah, this is probably the longest between done and release I've ever done. Like the whole length of having a baby. This record kind of is like having yeah, a baby. Totally. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's true. I really, what you were talking about earlier about just wanting to collaborate with people. This this record feels especially good in that way. Everybody that worked on it, I just loved their ideas and them as people and they just took it in all sorts of directions that were unexpected and it was very much a journey in like letting go of 
because I'd played these songs solo so many times and toured and just having like an idea in my head about how they fall, kind of how they feel and, and having them just blow that out of the water and be like, oh, what if we try this? And, and I just loved all their ideas and it made me want to do way more collaborating and, and try to play with people more often. I kind of feel, it's this good feeling of releasing something that feels like not just mine, So the album Anna is referring to is the new one she recorded in 2018 called The Question. The upcoming release this April is her fourth on Fluff and Gravy Records, a super cool record label based in Portland, Oregon, which also houses her previous albums. You can go to Anna's website, annatibble.com, Spotify, or Fluff and Gravy Records to get you some Anna music to hold you over until the new record comes out in April. In the meantime, I'll play you a clip. This is Last Cigarette on the album Small Believer. one color and then everybody else gets to add some colors yeah. and make a picture out of it. Yeah. It's like together, it's really fun. And it just it like takes a life on that you've never heard before. There's the people that want to buy all the equipment and you know go to a cabin and do all the parts themselves and, and really geek out on mic placement and chords and and I just not, I just want to like sing this song the way it feels and leave and not hear it ever again kind of I don't want to hear it over and over again mm-hmm. it slowly dissipates the magic somehow and so to have somebody else's mind that's it's like oh I think this microphone will be really fun like, great that's that's great let's <laughs> do that and then they're like oh I, last night I listened to these these like 25 takes and I thought this one sounded the best, awesome. That's you know. I don't need to hear the other ones. That's fine. I just want to. I just want to make the thing and do all that. I wish. I wish a lot that I was more the other way. That 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 was also part of the art. Because I know people that that to be in the studio and to, to like take your time and try fifty different techniques or sounds and then pick through them all. And that's that's a part of the art. And yeah, I wish that I had 
ads in the back, but man, do I ever not. I can't even hear. I've had multiple times in the studio where where somebody will like line up four different mics and watch, and it's like more often than not, I literally cannot hear the difference. And they'll be like, oh, well, this one has this, and this one is like crispier, but also round, and this one is like dry and crackly in a good way. And I just can't, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that, but I don't care. How much do you do? Like the past few years, it's been somewhere between like 180 and 200 dates. That's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. That seems like a good, like that's good. <laughs> More than that, I think I would wither, but that's been a busy few years in, in good ways. I've booked myself, so it's very willy-nilly. Ah, I feel like I should go to... Colorado again, okay. Yeah, I'm just kind of like very slowly trying to grow in these little scenes in different parts of the country. Yeah, it feels, it feels like there's no rhyme or reason <laughs> so far to, uh, to that kind of a, a long learning curve. I used to sleep in the van a lot more. It lately seems like I've been doing more like flying somewhere. I've been trying to, yeah, slowly learn how to tour smarter so it's less, like I wanna go to Colorado, so it's probably gonna be a month long tour to get all the way out there driving and get all the way back and I need to sleep in the van because I won't be making enough to not sleep in the van and versus flying out there and doing a 10-day tour and renting a car that doesn't break down. <laughs> <laughs> I sense some stories yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I do feel like there's definitely a season to that. Of, and I don't think this is true for everybody, but uh, you know, this, this like, the first couple years of touring and just to be out there by yourself and it didn't matter if you're playing like you know Ed's barbecue for $20 and a sandwich and, and you slept outside in the parking lot in your car and like washed your face in his sink and, <laughs> and you just like you know paid gas out of pocket and and it was just and you'd get home and be like oh my god I just want to do that again for another month because that was amazing and it feels like there's a season to that where, you know, every once in a while I enjoy a show like that because it reminds me of that season, but a whole tour of that, you know, it now it doesn't feel as good as much as I love Ed's Barbecue. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so maybe the road isn't as glamorous as pop culture makes it out to be, but we still do it. 
and all of us at some point have loaded our cars bumper to ceiling with gear, a bedroll, and a cooler, and driven 800 miles to play a barbecue shack. But I'm guessing any troubadour you talk to might agree the goal is not to sleep in the van or play for a sandwich and 20 bucks. The goal is to make a decent living doing what we love with the least amount of discomfort as possible. Sounds reasonable. And with all those miles clicking by, what about the songs? I mean, the ones not born yet. Where does the songwriting fit in in a schedule like that? I feel the very best when I'm always kind of writing little bits, even if I'm on the road, and even if they're not going to be songs, just poems and, and little things that maybe will be part of a song later. And, and a lot of time when I've been touring a lot and I'm finally home, the thing I want to be away from in music is playing the songs I was playing on the road. I want to be like writing new stuff. I don't want to sit around and play those songs anymore, but but really want to just mess around and write and not talk to anyone. Like, like we're doing now. <laughs> not like this at all. Just just like the... Because I, I love people and I, I love one-on-one -on -one especially and I, I think the the only thing that I really burn out on socially and on tours is like the amount of not of like not deep connection that you because you're just moving on every night so you don't yeah it's it's like so much small talk and, and trying really hard to make to make good connection with people but you can't retain all of it and that sometimes feels really sad or, or like very tiring because you want to give everything to everybody but but you can't also, and, and especially if you're a person that gets your energy from being alone more than around people. Yeah, sometimes I get home and I really, like I don't even want to go to the grocery store because I feel like I'll be bad at, like with the checker, <laughs> that I will like not make them feel, like I'm gonna make them feel welcome or whatever, and, and that's such a weird line of thought, but. Well, I just want to hole up and write and kind of process. I think you fill up so much on tour with stories and different towns and different lives that you see and, and all this like change and emotion and, uh, and you kind of get full and then you want to go process it kind of through really some real quiet and some writing. No, how do you deal with that? Exactly like Same. that. Same. <laughs> I mean, I live in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> There's a piece of me that's an introvert, even though I'm also a little bit of a social butterfly in a lot of ways. Yeah. That solo piece, that's where the writing is for yeah. me. And I have a really hard time getting into that space when there's a lot of other energy around me. Yeah. When I'm out, I find, I, I almost can never work on it when I'm on the road. Yeah, being able to come home and if I wanna just wear my pajamas for two days yeah. and not brush my hair, <laughs> you know. And I take up such a large amount of joy, and I'm not even, I'm the least fancy person that shows, but but just to like, you know, you, you have to care, you know, and I love like not showering and just not seeing anybody for three days at home and you just wear the same shitty outfit. I'm not the only one it who does so that. Good. I'm so excited. 
you just write weird things yeah. that you're never gonna sing out loud. Yes, totally. <laughs> I love that. Sometimes the truth doesn't shower. Sometimes it wants to be a mess, wear mismatched clothes or take a damn break from it all. If you ever wondered what touring troubadours do when they're home, well, maybe now you know too much. But the point is, they are probably just like you. Nice to be nice. In some ways, this next question I almost don't want to ask you because if someone asked me that, like a stupid question, why are you <laughs> asking me this question? Yeah, I'm ready. But um, why do you do this? Why do you do this life? I don't think that's a stupid question at all. It's on the fridge over here, I have a, a I did this little like go in and play for an elementary school class in Alaska one time and. And afterwards, they wrote down any questions that they had for us on little pieces of paper, and I still have one because the spelling was amazing, but also because it says, why did you want to be a, well, they said musician, but a musician, and I taped it up there because I always think that's so, I just don't want to ever forget what it felt like to, to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this for a while, all the way. I don't want to. I don't want to plan on doing something else. I want this to. I just need to see what this is. But I think that kind of this way of moving in the world feels more real to me than anything ever has. And like sometimes you're around people and they make you feel like the best version of yourself, you know? And this this particular avenue of moving through the world and kind of trying to be, trying to spend your time observing and processing and kind of trying to see people and what makes them tick and what their hurts are and, and mix that up with your own and try to make stuff with it that feels to me like the best version of the way that I could exist and that I, and I don't mean that to sound grandiose I just mean that 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 makes me feel a lot more than anything else that I've ever done and, and if I can do that and make enough to eat a little and fix the car then awesome I'll do that for as long as that works and and just always, even if it doesn't work, I'll just always do it. Yeah, you know. It isn't always easy. I shared a show with Anna in Ashland, Oregon the night after the 2016 election. It was incredibly challenging to convince myself to stand on a stage and sing songs when it felt like the whole world had just flipped on its head and was unsteady. For the next two years, I stopped performing and touring to heal a vocal cord injury, while Anna kept touring and adding more dates every year. 
and in the tradition of the bards of old who would travel town to town, I asked Anna for the real news from out there, from any town, USA. I just remember feeling like we were playing some wake or something, yeah. you know, or like somebody died. And the people that came out, like everybody was so raw. And so I wanted to ask you, since that time, have you noticed a change out there hmm. in America? That's a super good question. Um, yeah, I feel like in these past couple years too, I've toured more in the Midwest as well. And so, and so getting like the flavor of the West Coast and the East Coast and then the middle over the past two years, it, to me, it feels like people are more um, like on edge in good and bad ways. They're they're like talking about things that they weren't talking about before, and they're also super divided. I feel like out on the road, I learned so much that. I'll be in the middle of nowhere in Kentucky and there's Trump signs everywhere and then everybody at the show is like the sweetest people ever and they all go to church and if I needed help they would drop everything and it's I just think that it's this permanent lesson in, in like all the all the like information and fear and experience and not experience that we all have that kind of shapes the, the way this is going right now and it man it feels so apparent on the road that it's not black and white that it's very much more complex it's not good and bad people and it's like that show was so powerful and it felt like there was no song that could help that situation and every, I think everybody felt so confused and just shaken up and scared and and it feels like that everywhere, whether people voted for this guy or not, you know, it feels like, I don't know, yeah, it's, it's interesting for sure and depressing in some places and so enlightening in some places. But more than anything, I feel like for the most part, people want to be nice and they just are in, you know, in the world that they're in with the information and the fear and you know what they're hearing from family and from whatever news they're reading and it's yeah it's a, I also feel like art is super important right now and it, like at that show I felt very confused about that on that day I felt like oh gosh this seems like the wrong thing to be doing and the perfect thing to be doing kind of like I should be calling my senator but I'm going to play some songs about feelings you know yeah. Like, what's that worth? But but it feels like I think I got past that or it feels especially to try to like connect people or like write stories that that are individual kind of like make people feel experiences that maybe aren't theirs but they know that emotion, they've had that like loneliness or they've had that fear or sadness. I don't know, that feels like I want to try hard to do more of that, more than I ever have. So, yeah. 
Art matters. And right now, in these times, it feels really important to cross divides and stand in another's shoes, even for three or four minutes in a song. The echoes of another time ring through these days. The songs of Pete Seeger, Dylan, and Joan Baez defined an earlier era, and oh my God, those are big shoes. We can't fill those shoes. We can only wear our own. And as a writer and performer, it can be tricky figuring out what ground to walk in a song. I was talking to my mom about this the other day because she, like in the 60s and 70s, she, she was so much a part of like living in a big city and the folk scene in Woodstock and, and the war and, and what a role music, especially folk music, played right then of just like getting out that angst and that dissatisfaction with what was happening and, and, uh, and like trying to understand. And, and I've always felt like that period in music was extra, extra elevated because of that. And, and there's something about this time that, that like I just see people more on fire artistically than, and I don't know if I just wasn't noticing or if this just feels like there's an extra push to to say and to like unravel what is important, what is happening and why, and what can we do to to like get through it and to be better, to do better. That, that feels, I don't, that's the closest thing I've felt to what I've talked to my mom about, that that time felt like this, this like impassioned, angry, confused moment of, of like, figuring out how to, how to think about that stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. I listened to a cool interview the other day though with uh, maybe Hayes Carl, and he said something that felt really good to me because because sometimes I'm like, oh, there's so much going on, I feel like I'm not allowed to just write like a love song or, or you know, something about myself or something simple and and not about what's going on and he said that he feels like there is this this like step up moment of make shit that really matters but he also said that it's like artist's job is to make art and it can be informed by the times or it can be some kind of wild new whatever and that's all great and that yeah just because all this shit is happening doesn't mean you have to become like a political songwriter mm -hmm. You know, people still need just like good feelings and songs that are true in other ways. It's so true. I felt, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Anna, thank you so much. Thank you for doing this. I'm so glad that you're doing this. I can't get enough of conversations with songwriters, so I'm excited to hear what you put out into the world. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out with us and listening to our first episode of Song Bones. Great big thanks to Anna Tivel for being brave enough to go first and being so giving of her time. I really appreciate it. And if you like this podcast, please share it with people or tell folks about it. And you can go over to songbones.com to check out what we're doing and to sign up on the email list so you don't miss any new podcasts or any Song Bones tidbits. This is Michelle McAfee, and I will see you here next month. Take care.